morning, good afternoon or good evening and welcome to the Advice Show podcast bringing you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. My name is Laura Perkis, I'm a reporter at CityWire New Model Advisor and today I'm joined by pensions and all-round finance expert Tom Selby from AJ Bell who's going to take us through some of the big tax changes we've seen in recent weeks including the increase to the national insurance rate, the suspension of the triple lock and the new social care cost cap. Um, so first, hello Tom, thank you so much for joining me, how are you doing? All good, thank you. Yeah, all good. Um, we we're getting a little bit of work done um, at the at the flat at the moment, so the the space has been a little tighter than I'm used to. The if there are knockings in in the background of the recording, then don't worry, that's just the, the decorator doing the last bits of of cleanup. But otherwise, yeah, everything's everything's good. The sun's the sun's shining. We've been able to get out and do things recently. So, so yeah. yeah, yeah, all feeling okay. Um, touch wood, your house doesn't fall in on you in the next 40 minutes. <laughs> well, if, if it does, I'm sure a bit of uh, a bit of careful editing will be able to <laughs> sort it out. Um, cool. So um, as great as house renovations are, I'm actually going to talk today about tax and pensions, mm. the, the very interesting subjects of tax and yeah. pensions. Um, so I want to talk a bit about um, all of the things that have happened over the last few months, the sort of uh, impromptu budget mm. um, and the fallout. So first of all, I was going to ask you what you uh, why you think the government chose to raise uh, national insurance over other tax rises, um, for example, instead of raising income tax. Mm. Yeah, well, clear, clearly these are all political choices. I think it was, it was interesting that that announcement kind of came slightly out of the blue, really. It felt like what was going to be a social care announcement turned into effectively a, a mini budget. And obviously we're going to get another budget of sorts um, in at the end of at the end of October as well. Um, the government's line on increasing national insurance is that it believes that's a, a fair way to pay for pay for extra money for the NHS and pay for social care reforms because it applies to individuals and businesses at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality, I think it's quite hard to escape the conclusion that this is a, a decision that's rooted firmly in politics. If you, if you think about NI and, and income tax and why perhaps they didn't go for income tax, one of the one of the big differences, of course, is that national insurance isn't applied to retirement incomes, whereas income tax is. And now we all we all know that. Older voters are, are incredibly important in delivering election victories to, to parties of all of all hues and are, and are particularly significant supporters of the, the Conservative Party. So clearly you could raise tax in different ways and there were different ways that they could have done it. But I, I suspect the fact that national insurance isn't applied to people's pension incomes is going to be will have been one of the key deciding factors. Now, they, they, they have decided to apply, of course, national insurance to, to the earnings of people over state pension age. And I think that was probably done quite rapidly into, in response to some of the concerns around intergenerational fairness. But, but clearly, the, the vast majority of income that people receive over state pension age will come from their, from their pensions. And so by, by going down the national insurance route, they were, they were, the government were able to to protect that key that key group of group of voters, and I think it would be it would be naive to think that that wasn't um, a significant consideration um, when they were when they were making that choice. Absolutely, I mean the triple lock was scrapped as well, mm. which I think you said at the time was was likely because the prime minister was trying to show that fairness. Um, and you said that he was he was keen to show that older people would be carrying some of the burden, but do you, do you not think that will actually be the case? 
Yeah, I think I think that was as much about the the optics of what was was happening as as the reality. So the the, the government, of course, as you said, have, have decided to um, suspend the triple lock for one year. So um, so so that means that that's the state pension will rise next year by the highest of inflation or two and a half percent. It will be the inflation figure for September that will be that will be used if if we if we um, if we continue with historic precedent. They they could have chosen to use a smoothed earnings measure um, for the triple lock, which would have allowed them to say that they were retaining their, their manifesto promise while also saving uh, the, the money that they were hoping to save by moving away from an 8% earnings rise. So I think the fact that they scrapped it altogether was the government's way of saying we are all in this together and, um, and that this is, this is going to affect both both young and old. Now, what, what, one of the things about the triple lock, of course, is that it potentially affects everyone. So if, if the state pension were to stay the same in perpetuity, then clearly having a triple lock in place would mean not only that older people get a, a more generous state pension, but also younger people further down the line will get a more generous state pension. That's one of the, the key arguments that's often used in, in favour of re retaining the, the triple lock. My, my view on that has always been that while that is true, it, it's, it's, it, it's kind of impossible that you would keep the triple lock in place in perpetuity because eventually at some point in time, you would have a, a state pension that outstripped earnings just by virtue of of mathematics so i think in reality by having the triple lock in place for longer now it just accelerates the the decline in the amount of state pension that younger people will get in the future so by suspending the triple lock for one year it's or by by reducing the amount of the state pension increases by one year it it it, it, it may it may be delaying what will be you know an, an, an inevitable decrease in the amount of state pension spending on younger generations further down the line but it's it's by no means hugely significant in the in the grand scheme of things Okay, so you I mean you don't think it's significant, so that kind of makes my next question <laughs> redundant. But the, the government did essentially break two of its manifesto promises. Mm. Um, and for older people, the triple lock was a big, was quite a big deal. Yeah, um, I think, I th yeah. I was, I was going to say, I, I think I, when I said it, I said I didn't think it was significant. I don't think in the in the in the grand scheme of government spending over over decades, one year of no triple lock yeah. isn't a huge deal. But I think in terms of the politics. Of it clearly breaking any manifesto pledge, as you say, is a big deal, and certainly normally it's it's a big deal for for governments as well. Um, it's quite interesting that that this government, so far at least, seems to be able to survive those kind of controversies. And that may be because of um, uh, the the situation that the country finds itself in. Clearly, uh, as, as Boris Johnson himself said, I think nobody had a global pandemic in their manifesto and so perhaps the, the public are more willing to accept that those promises couldn't be couldn't be kept because the the world in which we lived has has entirely changed but it, it may also be to do with the fact that, that Boris Johnson has this Teflon sort of quality which means a lot of this stuff doesn't quite seem to stick to him and he and he and he seems to somehow be able to to distance himself from from the acts of Governments that he's been a part of, from a party that he's been a part of for the for the last for the last decade or so. So, who knows? We're, we're still hopefully a long way away from from a general election. So it, it may be that some of this stuff does 
eventually stick over time. But I'm, I'm not sure there's there's any kind of punishment being meted out to the to the Conservatives, certainly in recent polling anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, so you said the general election is still quite a long way off. So they've got some time to, to sort of recover from this. So what do you think they might do or how could they um, go about recovering from this for the people who are upset, <laughs> the older so, people? So it, it, in, ter in terms of the, the, the government politically, how can they recover from this or the other people who are affected by the these, people, by the, government, or the government politically? Well, I mean, it dep it dep it, I guess it, it depends whether you think that they, they are they are significantly affected by this so I, th I, I think at, at the moment the the polling suggests that they're okay I mean I think they've I think I think Keir Starmer and the Labour Party have have nipped a little closer um yeah. to, to the to the Conservative Party but but clearly they, they feel that by making these changes and in particular I think by saying and this is this is obviously a ruse but by saying that um, the the money from the health and social care levy, so the one point two five percent extra, effectively, it's going to go on to onto national insurance from next year onwards is going to be hypothecated and put towards the the NHS. Perhaps they have um, have neutralised the, the the bomb of, of what is essentially a conservative government increasing taxes, which is something that you, you, you certainly you certainly wouldn't expect um, in in normal times. Now I say that's a, a total ruse, of course, because all of this money just goes into one big pot. Um, so it's a total nonsense to say that you're increasing national insurance by 1.25 percentage points and then that money is going directly into the NHS or directly into social care. That's that's just a denial of the way that the, the tax system system works. But I think I think, again, optically, that's maybe the kind of thing that has played well and means that for, for lots of people at the moment at least that there isn't a huge amount to to forgive the government for but that that may well change over over time as I say we're, we're in a way while it feels feels like well clearly this crisis has been going on for for two years but we've we've had a long period of time where government support has been in, in place where of course uh, universal credit has been boosted for lots of people and it and it may be that the the pain of those things falling away will will lead to the the kind of fallout from from all of this pandemic including of course that the fallout from any increases in 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 national insurance um, and what i guess one other one other thing that will will impact um, whether or not the government is is hurt by that is of course what happens to people's take-home pay as well so while there'll be, there may be an initial hit politically from say national insurance going up um, that's not actually affecting anyone yet so national insurance hasn't increased yet so yeah. if people are seeing their pay packets go up then even a little bit extra on national insurance as long as the overall amount that they take home goes up then people will probably feel pretty pretty happy about things I think my take-home pay needs to go up <laughs> a lot of affect. Looks like I'm going to lose quite a lot to national insurance, but uh, that's fine. <laughs> I hope, well, I hope Will, I hope Will Robbins is listening to this. <laughs> Will Robbins, editor. <laughs> um, interesting, you just said about all the money going to a pot because it was quite recently that I learned that you could take money from national insurance and borrow. The government could borrow it to pay for other things. Mm. You know, as you as you said, I'd always just assumed that it was allocated to certain things, mm. which is not the case. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of misunderstandings around that actually, particularly mm -hmm. around particularly around the state pension. I think so. The, the state pension technically has a there's a notional fund that exists to pay the state pension, but um, which is often used by by campaigners as a, as a stick to beat the government with over state pension age <laughs> increases and to suggest that state pension age increases 
aren't aren't necessary. But if you if you without getting into too much detail on that, if you look at the government actuaries department's report on that notional fund, you can see that that while it, I think it sits at somewhat, well, I won't say the figure, but it sits in a significant surplus at the moment. But I think the trajectory is over a certain. I think it's over the next five or ten years. It will it will dip into a significant deficit, and then at that point, clearly the government's going the, the government's going to have to increase taxes in order to continue funding funding the state pensions so i think there is lots of lots and lots of confusion in terms of how national insurance works and and, and where where the money for certain things that certain things comes from in, re, in reality national insurance and income tax are, are exactly the same thing mm, and under different names i think as you said in all but name yeah exactly a big tax rise so i mean this is all speculation because they haven't done this yet but um i want to talk about what other taxes the government could have targeted for reform mm. to raise money and why you think they might may not have chosen to go for those um mm, yeah yeah as, well, as, as i said uh, at the start these are these are political choices um clearly the government could have done other things to raise revenue and, it, and it's worth, worth worth pointing out so we're as, as we record this, it's the the sixth of sixth of October. So we've got uh, what two, three weeks until an autumn statement where we may get more tax increases or more revenue raising proposals um, from the government. Yep, something something for us all to look forward to. Um, so there were, there were there were various other things that the government could have done. Of course, they they could have chosen to borrow more. Um, although, of course, that potentially has implications if the costs of borrowing go up over time and that may be a bigger risk as inflation is returning to the economy there, there was also a lot of talk around the idea of a wealth tax although that's always been batted away by by the conservative party and i think by rishi sunak the chancellor in in particular but that that's a fairly clear alternative way of of raising the revenue that the treasury clearly thinks it needs in order to pay some of the costs of of covid and in fact the the wealth tax Commission, which is made up of um, a group of economists, looked at looked at the idea of applying a one-off wealth tax of one percent on individual wealth over half a million pounds charged over five years, and reckoned that that could raise somewhere in the region of of two hundred and sixty billion pounds. So it's pretty clear that there were different options open to the government rather than increasing national insurance it's worth mentioning as well that they also um, increased dividend tax rates although the, the impact that has on the public purse is, is pretty minute compared to the the impact of the of the national insurance rise um, and, and of course as I said you can't you can't rule out any of this stuff being announced in the future if the government feels that it needs more cash either to pay off some of the the extra the extra borrowing that's come as a result of covid or to pay extra costs related to to the nhs if it feels like more money's needed needed there so there's all sorts of levers that can be pulled if you think about capital gains tax so there's been talk around aligning capital gains tax rates with income tax rates yeah. um, they could look at inheritance tax again there's been reports recently around council tax um, even so so the the decision to move particularly on national insurance, um, but also dividends of the triple lot was a political choice of, of that time. But there are there are more things that could be done if, if they wanted to do it at the at the autumn statement later this month. I'm really quite a lot about politics and I appreciate that's not that's not really your speciality. Your speciality mm. is pensions. Mm. So I'm going to ask you the obvious question is what do these tax changes mean for pensions? 
Yeah, so they'll, I mean, they'll, they'll make they'll make a, there'll be a little bit of difference at the at the edges, I think. So clearly, um, by increasing national insurance rates, things like pensions, salary sacrifice are going to be a little bit more attractive to individuals and to and to clients. And it, and it's important that the government clarified that. So what what we're going to get is an increase in national insurance rates initially, and then and then what people will see on their on their payslip is a health and social care levy levy split off from national insurance rates one year later. That won't make any difference in terms of how much you pay, and it won't make any difference in terms of using salary sacrifice either. So you'll still be able to, salary, to, to, to sacrifice that in the same way and save on the health and social care levy in the same way as you can, you can save on national insurance. Um, dividend tax rate increasing is, is clearly another nudge for people to potentially review their investments and for clients to review their investments that aren't held within tax wrappers like pensions and ISAs as clearly any, anything over £2,000 held in held in those investments is going to be charged a little bit more than it would have done before. Um, and the triple lock, at the risk of, 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 of stating that the blindingly blindingly obvious, but clearly that if the, if the state pension isn't going to go up by 8%, then in all likelihood, it's going to go up by less than that. Um, so we'll, we'll get we'll get the inflation figure for September, I believe, at the end of October. Um, if that, that figure may come in at who when we do, well, yeah, there's a little point in guessing what the inflation figure is. But if that's three to four percent, then clearly that means that that people's um, people's state pensions are going to go up by by less than they may have otherwise thought they were going to if they've been if they, if, if if they were even aware of the existence of the triple lock, of course. All sounding a bit bleak. Uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what I'm here for. And the police, police sirens have just started going off outside as well. So who knows what's going on? Uh, not helped by the national newspaper headlines of a winter of discontent, which has had me worried, <laughs> even okay. me. I don't get easily worried. Uh, and a potential period of stagflation. So mm. what do you think advisors should be doing to prepare their clients for a potential yeah. Interest. I mean, a winter of discontent. I guess everything's relative, isn't it, um, Mark? Because if you think of the winter that we've we've just had, it's hard to imagine more 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 depression or, or discontent than we've than we've just experienced. So even if there is a mild amount of discontent, or even a fairly significant amount of discontent, if we can all get out and and see our families and live vaguely normal lives, then I think that that will probably feel like a big a big step up. But um, in terms of uh, stagflation, clearly there's a Given given where we are, given where we're seeing the end of furlough um, and we're seeing the end of lockdown at the same time, then there's there has to be the potential that we'll get both inflation and unemployment in the economy. So clearly the end of furlough means that employers are going to have to bear the costs of employing people themselves without the help of government. And the end of lockdown means that we're all, bit, all able to go out and spend in the shops a bit more as well. And with earnings spiking, then, then clearly you could end up with um, with both inflation and unemployment and, and stagflation, as it's called, at the same time. Um, but as we know, with all economic predictions and particularly when you're looking at um, a, a volatile period like this none of this is certain it's not certain that we will enter a period of stagflation that inflation will be high or unemployment will be high and in fact unemployment's held up very very well certainly while the government support's been um been in place even if we do get either of those things, then we don't know how long that unemployment or that period of inflation will, will last for. Some people believe inflation will get a, a spike of inflation and then it will ebb away. Some people are expecting inflation to, to hang around 
for for a bit longer than that so I, I think if you're an advisor at the moment and it, and it sounds it sounds boring but the the priority will be keeping clients calm reassuring them um, and making sure that they stick to their long-term plans because usually people's long-term plans aren't affected by things like a small bout of inflation and certainly not by unemployment statistics or, or, or demand statistics in the in the economy um, I'm sure when advisors are undertaking client portfolio reviews and things like that that will involve discussions about the prospect of inflation returning to the market but I don't necessarily think that for a lot of people that will involve any particular change it will be about reassuring them why inflation is in in the market and why their money is invested as it is um, clearly anyone who's got a lot of money held in cash investments um, might want to review those and at least make sure they're getting the the best possible interest rate on those on those cash investments because clearly if if we do see a spike in inflation then that that money's going to be losing its its real its real value but i think for for most advisors this kind of short term volatilities part and parcel of the whole experience of of saving and investing and it's getting that reassurance from your advisor is one of one of many reasons why why lots of people pay for a financial advisor as well so i think it'll be there'll be a lot of conversations where it's it's kind of keep keep calm and keep calm and carry on in the same way as i'm sure for lots of advisors that was the the conversation that will have been happening in um, march and april of, of last year as well when markets really hit the skids yeah, keep calm and carry on. The world's falling apart, but just yeah. <laughs> keep calm and carry on. Awesome. Um, I want to touch on social care because that was one of the other things that I, I kind of forgot happened mm. recently um, mm. in the impromptu budget. Um, so what do you think about introducing this 86 grand cap um, on social care costs? Do you think that this will fix the quite marks social care crisis? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's got to be said that it's better than better than nothing um we we've seen from successive governments over a long long period of time that that kicking the can down the road to use a farly a far, a far too overused phrase um, has been very very easy for um for social care reform it's been well over a decade since we had the original dilnot report which which proposed a a cap on on care costs a lot lower than than the cap that's being put forward by by the government in its um, health and social care report and um, i think we need to see a bit more detail on how the caps going to going to work the um, the the paper that the government produced was was fairly light on that front so we know that there's going to be a cap we assume that that's just going to cover personal care costs so it's not going to cover hotel costs so things like food and accommodation and those are things that that can run into tens of thousands of pounds but Clearly, having a cap on costs is is better than having um, the current system where you, you, costs can can run away into te- into hundreds of thousands of pounds potentially for your for your personal care. And I think the the hope will be that we may see some sort of insurance market develop as a result of this. Now, the cost of that personal care is is going to be uh, is is more predictable for insurers to 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 insure against. But there's no guarantee that that will happen um but we've still i've still not heard a huge amount certainly from the insurance industry in terms of the kind of products that they might look to create and we still don't know of course and this has always been the the the, the $64,000 question is um whether people would be willing to buy those products as well and um, the idea of 
of insuring yourself against something like going into long-term care can be quite a, a depressing thought for lots of people. It's something that a lot of people don't want to, to countenance and, and it might not be something that people want to pay for either, but it's, it's similar to all kinds of insurance. You're trying, you know, you're, you're hoping that the worst doesn't happen. And if it, if it does happen, then you'll have a, a policy there to make sure that, that, that you're cared for and your, your family uh, don't have to bear all those costs. And, and crucially for lots of people, of course, they don't have to sell their, their home as well. So that's a, a long-winded way of saying it's, it's not clear that this will, suffer, so it will solve the social care crisis um and i guess it, it would depend on, on your personal view of what of, of what solving the social care crisis would would mean um, i mean for some for some people i think that the, they would want to see health and social care become entirely part of the the national health service and for it to be free at the free at the point of service and i think if that's if that's your perspective then clearly a cap on costs doesn't do that at all um, and is relying on markets to to solve the problem so so i think in, in part it will depend on your perspective on this but it's it, it has to be viewed as a positive thing that at least something is being done to, to tackle this because for, for too long we've seen absolutely nothing done yeah uh, it's probably worth mentioning actually that i asked quite a lot of insurers i won't name them but mm. about this and that the general view is that they're waiting to see what other people do <laughs> brilliant a bit of that um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> also that the, the view is that uh, you know immediate needs annuities that are kind of the only thing in the market at the moment are very, the take-ups very low. So yeah. They don't seem very sure about, yeah. as you said, that many people will actually be interested. So it will be interesting to see if that develops and we will yeah. do that. Yeah, there'll, there'll definitely <laughs> need to be something beyond an immediate needs, an immediate needs annuity, I think. But um, but yeah, it's not a, it's a, it's not it's not a, it's not a, not a market I'm, I'm as close to as, as I have been in the past. But I've, I've certainly not not heard any. Um, any any whispers of the kind of products that will come forward but of course to be fair to the insurers they may be waiting for what their competitors are doing and i'm, I'm certain they'll be waiting for for details of exactly what the legislation is going to look like and then until you know what the what the rules are going to be you can't really really design a design a product so i i do have some sympathy with their with their position on that early days yeah um so i've, I've grilled you to death about tax but um, <laughs> we have got this budget coming up um, we do. So i was just going to ask you if there are actually any any further tax changes, pension changes, policy changes that you're expecting in the budget or, or you know, before winter or even early next year? Yeah, it's, it's an autumn statement, not a budget. They're very different oh, things. No, they're exactly, they're, they're exactly the same thing. I'm only joking. Um, yeah, obviously, you, I think you, you, you all, I, I certainly always anticipate some changes to, to pensions taxation, I think in part because over the last... 11 or 12 years there's there, there have been so many regular changes to, to pensions taxation that it would be kind of foolish not to expect it when you get um, a big fiscal announcement so we've seen you know, the annual allowance has been successful uh, has been has been has been chipped back year after year after year it was it used, it used to be as high as um, 255,000 pounds if you can believe that and obviously it's now down to 40,000 pounds we've we've seen a lifetime allowance again chipped back that used to be 1.8 million and is, is down to just over a million pounds now and um, so given given the financial position the country's in um you you can't possibly rule out any changes to certainly to pensions taxation and pensions tax relief i'm sure we will get the rumor and speculation at some point potentially before this podcast even got out um that, that higher rate pensions tax relief is in the chancellor's sites once again and um, we've we've yet to see anyone quite explain exactly how that would 
work for defined benefit schemes and particularly defined benefit schemes in the public sector and how you would explain to um to, to the doctors who've helped, helped us get through this crisis why they're now being taxed potentially significantly more and they're facing a tax bill as a, as a result of introducing what would presumably be a, a flat rate of tax relief somewhere near 20 percent if the government wanted to save some money so i'm sure we'll get those rumors i'm not sure anything will happen on it um Clearly, we've already got a lifetime allowance freeze until the end of this parliament. We've already seen the triple lock be paused for one year. So I'm kind of assuming that they're done with those two measures. It would be kind of odd to announce them and then announce something else on the triple lock or announce something else on the lifetime allowance. Um, so I guess the annual allowance is the, the lever that's left for them to pull if they wanted to change something to the existing system. So potentially... You know, lowering the annual allowance from the current level of, of £40,000. Um, as, as I've said to you before, and I, I won't labour the point because I think I did say it last time I was on the, I was on the podcast, <laughs> but uh, we, we, if, if, if they are going, if the government are going to look to make changes to pension tax relief, then I, I would implore them to think about the complexity of the system that we have at the moment and at the very least consider whether having three different types of annual allowance is really conducive to a saving system which encourages people to engage and to, to save more for retirement because it's, it's 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 quite ludicrous the system we have at the moment and um, it would be extremely helpful in, lot, for, in lots, lots of different ways if we could certainly do away with the tapered annual allowance and and do away with the money purchase annual allowance ideally um, as well because those are those are complicated things that have to be explained to, to everyone even if they um, even if they don't affect everyone so we, we would like some simplification if possible but i, I suspect that kind of long-term thinking won't be at the, at the forefront of what we see at the at the autumn statement or or indeed into 2022 if i'm honest for anyone listening i can i can see the passion about this subject <laughs> bursting out of i need to get i need to get out more <laughs> i know that there's like a lid a whole lid you want me to open and we can go into that so you know coming soon <laughs> we'll talk about this in more detail yeah um but i think for now i have one more big question for you Go which on. is in the last few weeks have you managed to find any petrol <laughs> um i live in london laura so i, I well i well I, well I can drive i um i don't have a car because i have absolutely no need oh, for one you. whatsoever so um i've uh yeah i guess i guess i could have uh, i could have gone and bought some petrol in a jerry can and tried to sell it on the black market or something like that but i am um, i haven't gone down that route yet anyway but not I really saw that the other day. so you laugh but i did see it the other day i saw a woman take three cans <laughs> God. what a world eh? a world. <laughs> thank you so much Tom for your insights and your wisdom uh, I'm gonna let you go now so thank you so much for joining us and for anyone listening if you have any questions for us or for Tom you can get in touch with us on Twitter or any social media at new model advisor otherwise have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you for listening <laughs>